Welcome to the Seller Growth Podcast, sharing valuable tips and information in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon personalities in the industry to help you grow your business. Here is your host, Rob Stanley. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the uh, Seller Growth Podcast. I'm Rob Stanley, with uh, Chief Market Officer with Akrumi. And today, I've got Joe Valley from, uh, I'm sorry, Joe, I, uh, Quiet Light. I'm sorry, from Quiet Light. It's right there, right below my, I know, I my know. face, man. I know. Just read it. And I was just prepping it, too. I mean, that <laughs> happens, right? Joe, Joe's done plenty of podcasts. He knows sometimes you get the hiccups, especially we're doing it live. So today, we do have a good one for you guys. Uh, today, we're talking about what to do to get max value when basically selling your Amazon business or when you're looking at selling your Amazon business. So welcome to the show, Joe. Great to have you on finally. How's it going? Good to be here. Glad to see you again. Yeah. And uh, so I, it was really cool. I got to do uh, Joe's uh, podcast. I think it was a few months ago yeah. and uh, myself and Don Henning from Akrumi. And that was a lot of fun. So I wanted to get Joe on here and, you know, talk about, uh, you know, kind of his specialty. And so let's, let's jump right into that. So why would anyone actually sell their business? Like, I mean, I kind of know why I would, but you know, sometimes sure. people might say, Hey, it, it's doing good. Why should I sell it? So why don't you yeah. take it away, Joe, on why they should sell their business? Yeah, look, it's a mindset, right? We're all entrepreneurs and 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 at any point in our entrepreneurial journey, we tend to get bored or overwhelmed or we promote ourselves to our own level of incompetence. It's one of those things. Um, when I sold my last e-commerce business, it was back in 2010. I sold it through Quiet Light before joining the team. And I mean, to paint a picture, I, I lived on a, a lake in North Carolina. I had a pool. I had a beach. And my kids were young back then, right? They're 17 and 19 now. This is 2010. And my wife had the kids, you know, out by the pool and friends over. And I could see them from my office. And, and I woke up one day and I'm, I'm just putting in my 20 hours a week, making a quarter million dollars a year. And I said to myself, I am so sick of this. What an awful situation I am. It was a glorious situation, but I was just tired of it. So for me at that time, it was time to exit. For other people, uh, you know, just the risk of trying to keep up with inventory and having an imbalance when you're growing a business and you launch it and it's growing like crazy, y'all know you're not taking much cash out. Right, your discretionary earnings, your bottom line may show a lot on your tax returns, but because of inventory needs, it's all going to a supplier somewhere in the country or overseas. That's where your cash is. It's tied up and it's not really yours. And, and, and more often than not, the best method of making the most out of owning your business early on in those years is actually to exit. Now, there are all other options as well, like with Quiet Light. Uh, we don't have inventory. We don't have a ton of overhead. We have a, an incredible team of entrepreneurs turned advisors. Uh, they manage themselves. I'm terrible at HR. I would not promote myself to my level of incompetence, which is HR. So there's a good, pretty good gig here. And, and many people in the Amazon space have that after a while where it's really, truly cash flowing well. And you can pick your projects. You can launch new products if that's your passion, or you can, uh, you know, Hire more VAs to do your grunt work if that's your passion. And you may keep the business. There's all sorts of reasons to sell it. Uh, you just have to prepare for that, even if you're not planning on selling it. Because someday you're going to wake up and decide to sell your business. And I guarantee you, you're not going to get the same value for it if you actually 
plan to sell your business. So you got to plan, you got to prepare for it versus wake up and exit, which is actually what I did in 2010. I was just burnt out and tired. And uh, fortunately, you know, the advisor that I work with, which is Jason here at Quiet Light at the time, um, had me hold on about six months before selling so I could get uh, more value because my trailing 12 was getting better because it was 2010 after the uh, the downturn in the economy. But there's lots of reasons to sell. There's actually a few not to sell, but uh, everybody knows if they're running an Amazon business, it's less than five years. You might feel 90% of the time like you're running on a hamster wheel and you just can't get off. You can't get a break and you can't take a vacation. That's that's a reason to sell right there. You, you And you can put some money in the bank. That's That's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. I've, so, I mean, I've made it pretty clear on plenty of podcasts that, you know, I had an Am uh, iPhone business for many years and I sold it in 2018. And, you know, to me, I actually sold it too late, uh, it, which is kind of funny, Joe. It's kind of the opposite of you in that 2010 to like 2014, 15 era. I was just killing it, you know. But then again, after about 2015, you know, a lot of people came into my industry. I was kind of the first one to, you know, revolutionize selling parts online, uh, you know, for the iPhones. But I, I kind of screwed up. I think I should have sold earlier. And mm -hmm. uh, but I did the same thing. I kind of was just like, you know, this, this isn't right for me. There's a lot of saturation. Of course, at that time, as you know, Joe, there, we don't have the aggregators. We don't have all these companies out there looking to buy like we do now. I kind of had to hunt down somebody to buy my business. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was looking at companies that said they would help, but they unfortunately didn't understand what I did at that time. So I actually yeah. ended up having to sell it to a competitor and it actually worked out great. Don't get me wrong. I'm super happy what I did. I just definitely could have got a bigger multiplier. So speaking of multipliers, it things are changing quickly right now in the Amazon world. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've had some incredible changes in the last uh, year. We all thought, oh crap, things are going downhill with Amazon in the sense of COVID really hurt thing. And then we sprang back out and man, things are nuts. So What's kind of changing in the whole multiplier world when it comes to buying, uh, you know, Amazon businesses? So by multiplier, you're talking about the multiple of discretionary earnings. When people talk, Correct. oh, I got a three, I got a four, I got a five. Okay. Exactly. Um, they're going up, bottom line, right? There's more competition for the same or a little bit more uh, businesses and more people are that much more comfortable with buying FBA businesses. You know, when I first started, there weren't many FBA businesses. They were content SaaS and, you know, iteration of Shopify back then. Uh, now, the majority of uh, listings in the physical product space are 85 to 90% Amazon. And while uh, there used to be a great deal of fear around buying an Amazon business, everybody had that, you know, the sky is falling, chicken little, I think it is, mentality that, oh, Amazon's gonna make this change, it's never gonna last, and it's so much risk because it's a single channel. Now these aggregators have come along and they've taken the fear away and they're all competing against each other to buy Amazon businesses. So if we go back to 2017, 18, uh, you couldn't list uh, an FBA business for more than three times. There's just no way, right? It was probably closer to two and a half of discretionary earnings. And we'll get to that at some point. Uh, and there was a time when, you know, I would personally list things at 2.74 because it would round down to 2.7 because the first thing the buyers look at is the multiple. They make their, their, their first decision on the multiple, whether to dig deep into the business details or not. Now, it's a completely different world. We list something at 
three, three and a half, four, and there's multiple offers and it's getting bid up even further. I looked at our listings, our closed transactions for the month of March, which would have listed probably any time between November and February, right? Early, early February. Uh, we had an average of six offers on every transactions that closed in transaction that closed in the month of March, 2021. The last three had nine, 11, and 12 offers on each of them. And those were all FBA businesses. So there's a lot of competition for it now. And that's the, that, that's the key thing is you present the business. There's 50, 60 aggregators on our list now, along with thousands of individual buyers that want that business as well. So when you put the package together and they all you know, sign a non-disclosure agreement, of course, and they look at it and they want to get on calls with you and they want to then make offers, they're all competing against each other and they know it. So you're going to get a higher value for the business, number one, but number two, a better deal structure as well. The aggregators are notorious for a lower uh, multiple upfront and doing funky deals where you're giving up a couple of months worth of inventory at closing and it's just cash out of your pocket. Uh, that's all changing because they are definitely competing with each other and it is driving up the value. And it's great for the sellers when they have the business presented properly. Yeah. So everybody who's uh, just kind of tuning in a little bit late, I got uh, Joe Valley from Quiet Light and we're talking about basically uh, getting max value for Amazon business if you're looking to sell it. So Joe, it, it, Joe was just talking about multipliers are basically how much uh, X you could get on your profit or on your company. Uh, I do have a follow-up question for you. And uh, Oh, real quick. So if anybody has any questions, please post them down in the comment section. Uh, Joe and I will be happy to answer those. But a uh, follow-up question to the multiplier. Do you think, uh, th we talked about there's a lot of aggregators out there and they're kind of competing, but do you think that it's going to hit a peak? Like, you know, I'm kind of thinking in my head, like if I'm watching the show and, and you're telling me about these multipliers and they're going up, you know, I might say, you know what, maybe it's worth hanging on a little longer, but do you think it's going to kind of peak out at some point? And, yes. you know, yeah. So follow, yeah. follow up a little bit on Look, that. They've got investors that have given them money and those investors are setting certain guidelines for what they can pay up front. And so they've got to stick to those guidelines. And it's going to get to the point where investors are not going to say, it's all right, pay a 10-time multiple up front, because that's not the way that the investors will make money. The way the investors are going to make money is that they, uh, aggregators are buying a portfolio of businesses at two to four times discretionary earnings plus inventory. And we'll get into that a little bit as well. And once they pull that into their portfolio, it's instantly worth 10 times because they have a much larger portfolio, less risk, much greater diversification. And they'll eventually sell that to a much larger private equity firm that will pay you know, an eight to 10 time multiple. So they're gaining instant equity when they buy those businesses. Uh, the, the likelihood that multiples are gonna climb to a consistent four time multiple for a business that's doing 200,000 in discretionary earnings is, is unlikely. It's happening sporadically here. We've, we just have one recently in the pet space that went for, gosh, it was like 5.7, 6.3 with inventory. It's, it's nuts. These are things that are absolutely unheard of uh, three, four years ago. Uh, but there's definitely going to be a ceiling simply because the investors need to make a, you know, a return on investment. The way they'll get around that though, is to get creative, right? So what we're seeing now is they're, they're, paying more upfront, the deal structures are better, the multiples are going up. But in order to compete against the other aggregators, they're offering uh, really what is simply, it's an earnout, a back-end earnout or a piece of 
you know, uh, the, they call it the profit, right? I don't, I don't, I don't like to do deals on profit, uh, but they're doing, let's say you did a million dollars in revenue, top line revenue over the trailing 12 months. Uh, they're going to pay you. Uh, maybe you'll get your cash. You'll get a good deal up front. You'll get, you know, some serious money in your bank account, but then you might get 50% of the profit uh, for uh, the 12 months after closing for anything above uh, revenue, anything above a million. So if it ends up doing uh, instead of 1 million uh, in the trailing 12 does 2 million for the 12 months after closing, uh, you're going to get the profit off of that extra $1 million, if that makes sense. So you're getting lots of cash up front, a very strong multiple up front, getting paid for your inventory, and then you're making uh, money on the back end as well. And that's how they can get around the investor guidelines of, you know, only paying a certain multiple up front because they'll make money, they'll, they'll pay it on the back end. Yeah, I'm actually hearing that happening quite a bit. Uh, you know, we talk with quite a few companies, including yourself. Yeah, and, and let me that just seems to be the way to go, right? Yeah, but it is. But let me just say that I am very fearful of doing deals where somebody's earning a percentage of the profit because it's so easy to manipulate. Uh, and you know, when you sell, you're good buddies and you're friends with the buyer. But if the buyer has something go sideways. They're going to protect themselves first. And if they can find a way to screw you without breaking a contract or just making it really hard, I promise you they're going to. Therefore, you need to hire a really good attorney right, for your asset purchase agreement. But the easy way to solve that problem is that your, well, two ways, is that um, number one, instead of getting, let's say, 50% of the profit, that's easily transferable into eight and a half percent of the total revenue, right? So you're getting a much smaller number of the total revenue for that second million, but it's so much easier to calculate. And the way to calculate that, the second part is you must maintain as part of your contract, report access to your seller account, right? That way you are not totally blind and just wondering if you're going to get an ACH or a wire after 12 months, you can track it. You can see what's happening at a situation like that where I had a client that was going to get paid out on, we did the top side revenue um, and they were going to get paid out uh, to two, two instances. There it was an either or, right? So they were going to get paid out in Q2 at the end of Q2, if revenue hit a certain amount or at the end of Q4 and they were 90% of the way to that revenue number three weeks prior to the end of Q2. And then the aggregator ran out of inventory oh. and they didn't get paid. Now we had an either or, and it was a top line revenue and they got paid at the end of Q4. And these guys had report only access. And so they were constantly reminding that, that person that was managing their account, Hey, look, you're going to run out of inventory. And they still had a relationship with the manufacturer on other non-competing products. So they kept saying, you got to put an order in, you got to put an order in, you got to put an order in because they cared more, right? They were going to get paid another $300,000, you know, if that underling at the aggregator company managed the inventory well. So they were kind of cracking the whip with them a little bit. But the problem is that these aggregators, they're growing so quickly that they're just trying to find bodies to fill spots sometimes. And that body filling the spot doesn't care as much about your business 
as you do, especially when you've got a million, a quarter, a third, a half a million on the line. So you always want to maintain that report only access. Let me just say for the record, I'm not throwing aggregators under the bus. These, these are good people. They're smart people. They're intelligent. And for the most part, they're, they're people that all of them, I think 99% of the ones I've connected with, I would have a drink with, I would have lunch with, I have dinner with, I would hang out with them and spend time with them. The, 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 regardless of that, you've got to protect yourself, right? You can't do these deals on a handshake anymore. And there's certain things that you got to put in place to protect yourself on the back end. Because when things go wrong, and eventually with one of them, they will. And maybe that's where the end is, Rob. But you got you to protect yourself. The end of the rise in multiples could be if you know one of them implode, right? So there are three or four of them that have been all over the news. And yep. if one of them just implodes, no more investors will be giving these aggregators money or it's yeah. going to be much tighter, right? So we want them to succeed. We want them to continue to, you know, build a, a greater and greater value business. And then maybe eventually have, you know, a two or $3 billion exit like Thrasio yeah. might have someday, right? We Absolutely. want them to succeed. They're all good people. You're gonna like absolutely. Them. Hey They're Joe, charming. real quick. That's how they get real so quick, much Joe. Money. You just want to protect. We them. we actually have a co a comment that came in. We're gonna take in just one second. We gotta do a break for a quick commercial break. Hit that like and subscribe, everybody, and hang tight because we're gonna be talking. We're gonna first of all take care of this question coming up, and we're gonna also talk about preparing your business to try to get that bigger multiplier coming up next. Hang tight. This content is brought to you by Acrumi, the business friendly funding solution for Amazon sellers. If you're a profitable Amazon seller looking for capital to grow your profits, click the link around this video or visit accrumi.com for a no-risk funding estimate in less than three minutes. Yeah, so make sure when you head on over to Accrumi and fill out that form, uh, there's a section to put in how you heard about it. Put Seller Growth Podcast. Don't just put podcast or you can put the Accrumi podcast or Rob in there, anything you like that'll match that. That'll be perfect because that way they'll know where you came from. Uh, so once again, I've got... Joe Valley from, uh, I'm sorry, from Quiet Light. And we are talking about basically, you know, kind of prepping and getting ready to sell your business, how to get the biggest multiplier. So Joe, we did have a question come in. Let's put it up on the screen here. Uh, are the majority of the buyers actually operators looking for a business or aggregators who are building a portfolio? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. And I'll answer it in a couple of different ways. So uh, if I look at uh, year to date, the majority of closed transactions for FBA businesses are with the aggregators, okay? But you, the seller, shouldn't really care. What you want to get is the best deal for your business from the best buyer that will get you all the way through to closing uh, at the best value for you and for them with as few headaches as possible and you not needing to go to work for them after the fact. Right? You want to go through your training and transition period, get some money in the bank, or actually get money in the bank, and then go through your training transition period, and then move on. So ultimately, you really shouldn't care who buys your business as long as they're good people and they're giving you a good value um, and uh, you know a good deal structure. My two cents anyway. But the answer is more aggregators than less. Yeah, I agree with that. Like like I mentioned earlier, I sold it to a competitor. You know, and, and it's like, I didn't care as long as I was getting what I was asking for when I sold my iPhone business. I didn't care it went to a competitor. 
uh, ended up being actually the right person to buy it because it was one of the ones that understood how the company ran and actually made it easy for me to exit. So I, I don't think it really matters at all. So uh, we did have a, uh, not another question come in, but uh, I, I have a question actually, and it was regarding preparing, uh, how to prepare your business to get that larger multiplier. Uh, so Joe, I know you have some hints on that. Why don't you go ahead and tell us some of those uh, guidelines or hints that, to prepare to get a higher multiplier. Yeah, there's you know two to eighty things that you should be doing honestly. So we'll just we'll just pick a few. Uh, the first is your mindset, right? This is, should not be all about you. You're not running this business with an idea of selling it so that you get a hundred percent of the quote unquote win, right? It has to be a win-win. What you want to do is go with a mindset of building a great business for a great buyer to take over at a great price and deal structure for both of you. And then I guarantee you, it's going to be a great deal for you. If you only think about your, yourself and focus on, you know, what you can get out of this business, buyers are going to see that and they're going to think, well, you didn't do anything to protect me. So therefore, I'm not going to pay you the value that you want because there's risks associated with it that uh, bring down the value because it brings up my risk. So you've got to change your mindset a little bit. Don't think about yourself. Think about if you're a buyer, how can I build this business to be a great business for a great buyer to take over at a great price? That's step number one. Step number two, probably some of the ugly stuff that you don't want to hear, but I'll describe, I'll tell you about it just by way of example. And um, it's basically, you know, accounting and get your numbers right. Get if it makes your eyes bleed, get over it. You need to pay attention to your business. If you want to, if you want to sell it for half a million, a million, five, ten million dollars, get over it and get involved with your profit and loss statements. By way of example, Jason and I had a call yesterday. Again, Jason sold my business a decade ago and he's still on the team, one of the leaders on our team. Uh, he, he, we went through a, a P&L conversion. So, you know, the cost of goods sold, well, first of all, in your P&L, it should be on an accrual basis, not cash. Here's why. The growing business, as I said before, you're constantly putting more and more money in inventory, so your net income is going to be depressed. If you flip it to accrual, which it should be done, it's the right way to do it. That uh, cost of goods sold, in particular, is a you know a steady percentage of your total revenue month in and month out. Your inventory value lives on your balance sheet. I know. Wake up! This is making your eyes bleed. But when Jason got a P&L, the seller said it's on accrual. My CPA has confirmed it's on accrual. And all Jason had to do was go, well, there's the cost of goods sold line, divide that by the revenue line, and it's all over the place. And he kept pushing back and pushing back and pushing back. And finally, the CPA said, yeah, actually, what we do with COGS is we just make an annual adjustment at the end of the year. It's accrual once a year. That's not what you need. You need it done on a monthly basis. When we flipped it, to accrual, the cost of goods sold to accrual, it added a half a million dollars to the bottom line value in terms of discretionary earnings. And this business is selling somewhere between four to five times. So that adds two to $2.5 million to the list price of the business. So if you don't like accounting and you don't like a numbers and they make your eyes bleed, think about the value you're gonna get when you get these details right. And then the last thing I'd say is just get an education as much as possible. Do more of these uh, or as many of these types of podcasts where you're learning about the process of selling your business and how to calculate seller's discretionary earnings and what the heck it is, right? Because that's what matters. 
don't talk to your buddy at the water, you know, the virtual water cooler where they say, yeah, I sold it four times. I sold it five times. I sold it six times. I sold it three times because odds are they cannot clearly define six times of what or two times of what. It's a multiple of seller's discretionary earnings, which is your net income plus addbacks. Net income plus addbacks equals SDE. And then your inventory is sold separately because it's constantly moving during this you know, podcast right here, all of your inventory values have changed. Assuming that you're selling someone on a regular basis, you know, that you sell at least one unit an hour. So it's constantly changing. So the idea of working it into list price doesn't make sense. And buyers want to pay the actual landed cost of inventory separately outside of the multiple. That's, why, that's the way everyone in the industry does it, except for website closers. They're the only exception to the standard rule. There's different reasons for that from where they came from and logic and things of that nature. But I've been doing this for a decade and the simple, most effective way to do it is to add the inventory separately. So then you've got to figure out Adbacks. What the heck is an adback? And really, does it matter, right? So my payroll's an adback. So that computer I bought that I'm keeping is an adback. That vacation that I took when I went to the Prosper show is an adback, and all these different things. That yeah, that's right. That's simple. But there are actually dozens of adbacks that should be looked at and delved into into your PL. Now, one simple but complex example might be if you renegotiated your cost of goods sold in the last 12 months. Let's just say for simple math that in the last six months, you reduced your cost of goods sold by $2 a unit on one of your SKUs. And you happen to sell a consistent 1,000 units a month. So it's $2,000 a month in savings over a six month period or $12,000. It's on the books, it's there. And that savings is gonna carry forward to the new owner of the business. But you don't have it in the first six months. So you just say, okay, well, I can't do that. Well, yes, you can. You do an ad back for the first six months. You take the total number of units sold times your $2 because that savings does carry forward to the new owner of the business. Here's the reverse of that. Well, let me do the math on that one first, right? So you've got $12,000 adjustment there, adjusted EBITDA, discretionary earnings, 12,000 times a three-time multiple, that's $36,000 till this price of your business. The reverse of that, is that in the first six months, things are good. You're paying $10 a unit, and then your cost of goods sold goes up by $2 a unit. In due diligence, your aggregator, your individual buyer, they hire a firm, they dig deep, they're gonna go, whoa, wait a minute, cost of goods sold has gone up by $2 a unit in the last six months. I've gotta look at the first six months in your trailing 12 and make an adjustment. Your business is no longer worth X, it's worth Y, and that Y is lower. So it benefits you to dig deep into your numbers, and I'm sure your eyes are bleeding right now, but there's dozens of simple little things. Actually, they're not simple. Dozens of things that you need to dig into in your P&L to make sure you're not providing your buyer with instant equity and giving them what I call an ignorance discount. It doesn't mean you're ignorant. It just means that you're not an expert in the space of doing an ad back schedule and analyzing P&Ls and preparing your business for sale. That's what we do. And We've been there. We've done it. We're all entrepreneurs turned advisors. We're all online entrepreneurs. Uh, we've all built, bought, and sold our own online business. So, so we we understand the math and the numbers, but we understand the emotion too. And the emotion is is a big, big part of this. And we could talk about that later as well. Yeah, that's some great information. That's why I wanted Joe on here because I mean he has a wealth of experience and doing this and 
man, there's just so much to cover, right? And so many different ways that you need to do this correctly. And uh, you, so with the fact that you've been doing this for a long time, you've got to have some good stories, Joe, right? Like on some of these, either uh, you know, a deal or getting a deal or uh, working with a customer or something that happened. Uh, why don't you uh, share with us uh, maybe a story that, uh, you know, you obviously could use different names or no names, but uh, share with us a good story that you've uh, had uh, dealing with this uh, such a long time. Yeah. So, you know, going through the, the, the valuation process is it's, it's an incredible education. So, you know, I've had many people have gotten to the point where they, we, we go through the valuation process, we firm up the discretionary earnings and we list the business for sale. And at some point they go, wait a minute, actually, you know what? I see where this is growing. I understand the value now. I'm so much more motivated and excited about this business than I was three months ago. I'm not actually going to sell it right now. We're going to come back and do this in six months or 12 months or 18 months. And, and that's okay. That That's an incredible education that people get. So, you know, uh, an example of that would be uh, a young woman named Lee. Uh, Lee and her family came to this country when she was three years old. Uh, her, they immigrated from uh, Vietnam, a mother and three daughters, that's it, and $300 to their name, $300 to their name. 15 years later, we ended up selling her business for three quarters of a million dollars. But it wasn't the first time we listed her business. She came to me with a very complex business where she had to source some you know, uh, products and goods locally and piece together a package that made her business really hard to transfer. We listed it for sale. She was selling it because her husband had an overseas opportunity and uh, she was going to sell it and relocate. Right. So let's just say she lived on the West Coast. Um, people on the East Coast, people not in the Northeast region of the country or the Southwest region of the country could buy her business because she lived up in, let's say, the Bay Area in San Francisco. Um, it was geographically dependent, which made it very hard to sell. We had addressed that in the package and talked about how somebody could change all of that and take care of it, but it was extra work for the buyers. So at some point, her husband actually didn't um, uh, end up transferring. So she said, you know what? This is so stressful. And she just had a baby. I, I, I got to hold off. Uh, and we said, absolutely. It makes total sense. I think her business was listed like for $450,000 at the time. And there's a lot of money for her, you know, given where she came from and where she'd been. Um, so let her go and talked about what to do and how to shore it up. And she learned a lot in the process. Came back 18 months later. 18 months later, and we listed the business uh, for like 759, and she got 750 plus inventory, and it was you know listed and closed in 45 days, and it was an all cash deal. So a great learning process there, but you don't want to go two steps forward and one step back, and then three steps forward. It's what she did, so it was very emotional at the same time. Um, had other situations where, you know, I had a a, a client. Uh, let's just call him Rick. All right. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus in case he's listening, but uh, he came to me at the last minute uh, where he had been given, a, a, you know, let's say a $10 million valuation from another firm. And he said he was about to sign the engagement letter, but they just started to feel wrong right before he was, you know, the day he was supposed to sign the engagement letter. So he reached out and he said, look, based upon this, based upon that, based upon here are all of my numbers. Here's the history of my business. Here's the workload. Here's the balance. All of this, and these guys are you know, telling me it's worth ten million. And I said, well, based upon everything they're saying, you're telling me. I mean, it sounds like that's true. 
He said, well, let's move forward. Just send me an engagement letter. I like you guys. I've referred to you. Uh, somebody referred to me, me to you, but I didn't connect. These, guys, these other guys connected and they sort of hooked me into their process. I said, all right, well, I, I made a mistake. I sent them an engagement letter. We signed off on the engagement letter before I got the most important part that makes people's eyes bleed. And that was this P&L. So I dug into the P&L. We're going through the numbers. And uh, I'm doing a screen share with them. I'm like, okay, so based upon you know, what I'm seeing here in July, and he goes, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is that number in July? I'm like, well, that's you know, what you gave me, that's your revenue, that's your there's no way I did $260,000 in July. I'm like, okay, Rick, but you gave me this. So the big point there is that you can't sell your business if the numbers are dead wrong. Turns out his numbers were dead wrong. He wasn't doing three and a half million dollars in discretionary earnings. He hired, he hired a just out of college bookkeeper or accounting major to do his books for him, paid her $24,000 a year, and the books were all wrong. His business might have been worth $6 million. Now that's still a lot of money, but it wasn't worth the 10 that he wanted and needed and expected in order to exit the business. So I had to be the Grim Reaper and say, look, your business is worth $4 million less than you think it's worth because the numbers that we're seeing now that have been adjusted and properly you know, uh, adjusted with discretionary earnings are right. What you had presented to me initially and what you presented to the other firm were wrong. That would have fallen apart in due diligence and you wouldn't have sold your business. And so his passion and excitement for the exit was, you know, the flame was, was put out very quickly. And that's incredibly hard emotionally to get up and, and, and face that and move on. It's so, so incredibly hard. Now on the flip side, you know, I've got another guy, Victor, and I talk about in, uh, in an article recently that, you know, Victor had uh, come to this country, uh, no uh, college education, a father, a single father of a little boy, and he sold his first business for literally $7,000. Just figure out how to flip a, a business through Flippa, right? Next one was 21,000. Next one was something like 220,000 that he did through Quiet Light. And then the next one after that, I listed for him for $5 million. So wow. you don't have to be giant to start. You can start small and build that relationship with a firm or whatever the case might be. But with him, we listed it for 5 million, got multiple offers within the first three weeks and one under LOI at 5 million. Three weeks into due diligence, he called me on a Saturday when <laughs> he called me on a Saturday. I was on the way home from a funeral of all things. And I'm like, oh boy, Victor's calling. This can't be good. It's Saturday. Nobody calls me on a Saturday, right? And uh, he says, listen, man, I'm, I'm struggling with this. I, I don't think I can sell the business. He was so fearful of my <laughs> reaction that it was so hard for him. I said, well, tell me why, what's going on? We had a great buyer, right? The buyer was awesome. And he's like, well, last month I did uh, $300,000 in profit. I'm like, okay, is that going to stick? Are we projecting that that's what it's going to be like from this point forward? He said, I have no doubt, no question. And it's probably going to get bigger. So I feel like, he said, I feel like I'm giving away my business and I just can't do that to myself and to my son. And, you know, it's just, I feel like I'm giving it away. And it was a non-binding letter of intent. So buyers out there, you might want to, you might want to sign a binding letter of intent, um, non-binding letter of intent. So he backed out of the letter of intent. We we did the numbers together. I'm like, yeah, based upon what you're telling me, I did this as I'm driving down the highway. Based on what you're telling me, I think, in, you know, 
four to six months, we could probably list the business for about $8 million. Wow. And so we pulled the listing from the uh, seller and uh, three weeks later, that seller and two others that were on the list that asked to be notified if it fell through, ended up bidding the business up to $8.75 million. Uh, and we ended up closing about mm, six weeks after that. So, you know, it's hard. It's emotional. I could go on to more stories about that, but I think we're taking a commercial break or something here. Yeah. The yeah. We got a quick. Yeah. The yeah. emotions of selling your business can go all over the place. We'll touch on it after this if you want. Yeah, absolutely. And and actually what we also are going to come back and talk a little bit about is, you know, what point should you sell your business? Uh, you know, when you're three months in, should you wait no. two years, five years? Maybe. So we should definitely uh, talk about, uh, you know, when is it maybe too early or to sell that business or what point is like a kind of a, let's call it a sweet spot to sell that business and probably sure. depends on the business. But yeah, we got a quick commercial break. Hang in there, hit that like and subscribe while we're on the commercial break. This content is brought to you by Acrumi, the business-friendly funding solution for Amazon sellers. If you are a profitable Amazon seller looking for capital to grow your profits, click the link around this video or visit accrumi.com for a no-risk funding estimate in less than three minutes. Yeah, so once again, welcome back to the Seller Growth Podcast. If you head on over to accrumi.com, we have a free three-minute instant funding estimate and be sure to mention Seller Growth Podcast or Accrumi Podcast in the form when you fill it out or just put Rob, that's fine too. So that's a really easy one. So yeah, uh, Joe just gave us some great stories on uh, you know different uh, God different scenarios you've dealt with, how you've helped people sell their businesses. But let's dive into you know what what is kind of that sweet spot of when to sell your business. You know, is it is it like after you've run it for a year or five years? What have you seen on that, Joe? Yeah. So I'll answer that question, and it's it's a bit of a, a continuation of what we just talked about. So you know, the sweet spot is when the value is right for you more than anything else. That's the most important thing, right? You should be setting an exit goal, dollar exit goal, not a multiple exit goal because the multiple doesn't get deposited to your bank account, actual dollars do. So you set that goal and then you reverse engineer a path to that goal. Timing wise, simply, you know, you said, do I sell it at three months, uh, two years, five years? Never at three months, right? Because that's such a young business, you're not going to get any value for it. You're probably not in actually making any money yet. So the 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 magic number, I think, is really 24 months. We've sold them younger, I think as young as 16 months. But uh, anything less than 24 feels risky to the buyers. And the higher the risk, the lower the value. You got to keep that in mind. Um, so in, in answer to your question, it's when the timing is right for you. So I had a, a business I sold last year. A guy's name was Joe. Brilliant name, beautiful, I think. Um, and uh, he was referred to me and we, again, we closed it in, I think January, 2019, but he'd been referred, I'm sorry, 2020, but he'd re been referred to me about a year and a half prior to that. And his goal was to sell the business for 1.5 million, let's say, right? Uh, but the value wasn't there. So he had a goal. And the way to reverse engineer a path to that goal is to figure out what the value is. And his business might have been worth a million at the time. And that was disappointing for him because he was emotionally toast and ready to move on. And as he said, I stomped on his heart. You know, I hurt his feelings and I stomped on his heart and, uh, you know, made him get up and fight for another, you know, 18 months. But in the stomping on his heart, 
I re-energized him because I educated him and got him more passionate about his business. And he grew to, you know, fight another day. We all, as entrepreneurs, have those valleys that we get down into and those hurdles that we need to climb over. And unless you know where you're going, it's very hard to get, you know, beyond that valley and over that hurdle and beyond that around that roadblock. So you've got to set that exit goal that's right for you, whether it's 200,000, 500,000, a million, 10 million, I don't care what your number is, but you've got to pick it. You've got to figure out what's going to be left for you after taxes and fees. And then you've got to reverse engineer a path to that goal. And, and, and the way to do that is through education. Education by absorbing it through podcasts like this, through uh, courses. You know, if there's, I, I know that, if there's courses, I know there's courses. We have one. <laughs> it's free. Uh, or, or books. Whatever it is, you've got to educate yourself. Um, but make sure those sources of education know what the hell they're talking about. There are too many gurus and experts out there that have no real idea of what they're talking about. And your but again, your buddy that sold their business, just because they sold their business doesn't mean that they actually sold it for the value of what it was truly worth. And and more than anything else, I see people screw up on ad backs. So example, simple example that I think everybody can understand. You've all probably gotten emails from aggregators. Maybe you even had conversations with them and they gave you an estimate of what they thought your business was worth and what they're willing to pay. And Hey, look, we'll pay you cash and you can avoid the broker fee. If you hear that pitch, you know they're pitching and they're, they're selling, right? But you probably have expenses that you run through the business that you use your cash back credit card for. And maybe you're getting cash back that you put over in your personal account or maybe you're getting rewards. Either way, it's an owner benefit, and that owner benefit does carry forward to the new owner of the business. The aggregator is going to have a cashback card, rewards card. The individual buyer is going to do the same thing. It's an owner benefit. So therefore, if you've got $1,000 a month in cashback, let's just stick with the cashback example. That's $12,000 a year in cashback. It's not on your books, but you've got to do an ad back for it. And $12,000 times a three times multiple adds $36,000 to the list price of the business. I've seen this alone add close to $100,000 to the list price of a business. So these are the simple little things that you've got to figure out and, and, and get educated on in order to truly get maximum value for your business. That's the num number one thing. The other thing with the aggregators I want to say is, you know, it's, it's really exciting and invigorating to have somebody reach out to you, have, have Thrasio reach out to you, right? They're good people. Ken, Josh, Carlos, I mean, they're, they're awesome people. They're really, really good people. We still plenty of business to them. But imagine that you're going on Shark Tank and you're going there to pitch your widgets, your business, your brand, and, uh, and, and you, you get yourself prepared and you show up that day and you go into the room and everybody calls in sick, except for Mr. Wonderful. And you're presenting your business to just him. It's not going to turn out to be a very good deal. He does, he has no competition. Cuban's not, you know, negotiating, you know, against him and Robert and so on and so forth. So when one aggregator reaches out to you, it's great. Feels good. Two, three do great. Feels good, but you've got to have them all competing against each other. But not until you get your numbers right, right? So if you don't do the cash back, add back. If you don't add back your personal payroll, if you don't add back the payroll taxes on your payroll. 
um, all sorts of different things. The cost of goods sold adjustment. There's we've got eight. We've got three different levels of addbacks, and there's six levels, to, uh, six addbacks to each level. But that doesn't cover all of them. There are dozens of them. So you got to get those numbers right and get yourself educated more than anything else. But pick that goal, set the exit dollar amount, reverse engineer a path through that with education, and then you're going to sell when the time and value is right for you. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, that brought up when you were talking about ad backs, I was just thinking back that I actually did that. So with mine, I actually had a, a YouTube channel that was generating income. And we were able to say, hey, this channel as part of this deal, right, because it kind of went together with the business, was generating this much money. Therefore, we're bringing that in. I expect that on the multiplier. Well, that you should know, have been in your P&L, just to be clear. Yeah. That should have and been in your P&L. <laughs> it actually was. But I just wanted to point it out that, you know, we made sure it was in there because it was profit coming into the business. You know, if any yeah. profits coming into that business, which there was, I mean, we, we, yeah. I mean, I think I had 48 million views on my YouTube channel when I finally, you know, sold it. So obviously it was generating some income. So yeah. that was great. Let but, me address uh, the yeah. question that I know people have right sure. now. Right. And, Go for it, and so you said, you know, I said, well, that should have been on your PL. You said it was. So the the cash back that people get, they think, okay, well, I'm just gonna put that in my personal account. I'm setting that up. You know, I don't have to, you know, put that on my books and whatnot. And that's okay, right? The IRS hasn't figured out how to tax discounts on purchases and advertising, which is exactly what cash back is, uh, or the reward points. So if it's cash back, you can do the math on it, even if it's in your personal account and pull it over or your, a good advisor will do that. If it's reward points, it's the same thing, right? So American Express will convert at 1%. You just got to look at how many reward points you gained in a month and do the conversion. And that's what it's worth each month. You don't have to cash them in. You can just do a paper conversion showing what it is. But it, it's all legitimate black and white ad backs that can be done with math and logic. Math and logic will always win the day. Black and white, no gray. Gray is going to erode trust. And when you start to erode trust, you're not going to get that maximum value for your business uh, on a great deal structure. Yeah, that's a lot of great information. And uh, wow, we could probably keep going, but <laughs> we do need to wrap this up. So uh, once again, everybody, I got uh, Joe Valley from uh, Quiet Light. And we we're talking basically about a lot of things regarding prepping and selling your business. And gosh, just a lot of information there. Be sure to uh, head on over to accrueme.com, find the podcast. There's a great uh, way for you to rewatch the podcast there. Also, Joe's contact information, including the website uh, and everything you need to know to contact Joe, is actually over there at the accrueme.com site underneath our blog. And you could get a hold of him that way. Uh, Joe, great having you on the Seller Growth Podcast. I really do appreciate it. That was some excellent information. Uh, everybody, be sure to make sure you head over to Acrumi and get the information and watch the podcast. Thanks again, Joe, for being on the Seller Growth Podcast. I do appreciate it. You bet, Rob. Good to be here. Thanks for joining us this week on the Seller Growth Podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Acrumi. If you are an Amazon seller looking for funding, be sure to visit accrumi.com and fill out the three-minute instant funding form. Join us next week for more great tips to help you grow your business.